there was in this particular portion of scripture a man who went to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we all know, the Lord Jesus Christ was traveling from one place to another, and it is particularly the special aspect of the gospel according to Luke, who pictures Jesus as traveling constantly. That's something very important for the exegesis of the entire gospel, and also for the book of Acts. Apparently, Luke used the image of traveling of the Lord Jesus and of the Apostle Paul quite heavily. Now, during one of the journeys of the Lord Jesus Christ, a lawyer came to him. A lawyer, a man who was experienced in the law of God and all the details of the Pharisaic law system. And he came to the Lord Jesus Christ to tempt him. He wanted to ask him a certain question, an important question in itself. Master, what shall I do to inherit the eternal life? And then we hear that the Lord Jesus speaks the words of the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy might and with all thy strength, with thy mind and with thy soul, with everything you have, and thy neighbor as thyself. And then he wanted to justify himself because he couldn't say anything against the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were an apt summary of the law of God. So he asked the question, but who is my neighbor? That may be at first sight a strange, seem a strange question to justify yourself. But we should realize that those lawyers, those scribes, and those priests did a very, have a very special view on their neighbors. They detested the heathen people, of course, particularly those who were the tax officers on behalf of the Roman government. But they also despised the common people, the multitude that doesn't know the law. So they thought, my only neighbor is a person of my own class. Who is my neighbor? It's really a loaded question. He wanted to be justified in his narrow view on who his neighbor is. And then the Lord told that beautiful parable of the good Samaritan, who did good to his neighbor and showed love to his neighbor. That's, of course, evident. But... When the parable of the Good Samaritan is told, a certain void is left. For what does it mean to love the Lord with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind? Luke, the evangelist, answered this question by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, by referring to the narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ and Martha and Mary. Here he shows, to my opinion, what it means to love God above everything else. Well, he refers to that story, and most likely Martha was the owner of the house in Bethany. She was a widow 
as the tradition says, and she lived with her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus, who were both unmarried. So actually, Martha was the hostess. She was busy providing food, made the beds, etc. All the common chores she had to do when guests came in. And she saw her sister Mary, most likely her younger sister, just sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and listening to his words. It rubbed her the wrong way that Mary didn't help her. She was just sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and doing nothing. Well, Martha made all kinds of noises, we presume, coughed, clattered with her plates, pots and pans. And finally, she could not restrain herself any longer. She burst out. Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And then the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ is rather striking. He says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful about many things, but one thing is needful. What does this mean? Well, let's, let's first dwell a little bit on Martha's shortcomings or Martha's sin, for that's what the Lord Jesus Christ intends to say. Of course, it is not wrong to be busy with caring for the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples as an hostess. That's not the main point in this narrative. The main point is that Martha was doing good things in themselves but from the wrong attitude. Let me just mention three aspects of the attitude of Martha in which she fell short. She said, when she burst out a little bit in anger and frustration, I serve the Lord alone. Didn't Mary serve the Lord? No, according to Martha, she did not. I serve the Lord alone. Poor me. She was only thinking of her own activities. And she really thought Mary should do the same as she did. I am serving the Lord alone. She limited serving the Lord and actually also loving the Lord only to her activities. Dear friends, how often do we, certainly when we are students for the ministry or pastors or teachers in, in seminary or in the college, how many times do we think that our service is so important, our activities, our reading, our studying hard, and of course it's all needed. We need to study in order to become faithful ministers of the word. But yet, is this all? Particularly in our day and age, when we are so busy with many, many things, also through the media and 
through all the possibilities we have in this time. Busy with activities, studying. Thus, is that all? That's one. Secondly, and that's closely related to the first element, she was concerned about many things and forgot, as the Lord Jesus says, the one thing needful. With many things, one of the most famous theologians of the Netherlands of the last century often said, true religion is concentrated just on one thing, serving God. And the rest, well, should come on the second place, maybe closely related to the one thing, the core, but it should have the second place. Martha was busy with the things that really were important, but it was not the core element. And we'll see in a moment what this core element, that one thing needful, is really all about. And finally, and maybe that's the most striking thing, it's to be found in the final verse of our portion of Scripture. Mary has chosen, the Lord says, the good part which shall not be taken away from her. This implies, dear friends, that all the things Martha does will be taken away from her. Just the one thing needful is not to be taken from her. Her working, her activities, one day when she passes away and she will go to heaven, they will be taken away from her. Sometimes it is necessary just to be aware of this also in all our own activities. In my own ministry, both as a pastor in different congregations and also when I was a professor in Apeldoorn some years ago, I've been very busy. And sometimes you are caught up in your work I have to finish this lecture, I have to finish that article, I have to write that book, I have to talk to these people, etc., etc. Our agendas are so full. But it will all be taken away. The books I have written, the students that I have taken care of, my own dissertation, it will all be taken away. How important is it when we realize this, that everything will be taken away apart from the one thing needful? Now, what's the one thing needful? I would like to dwell on that for some moments. The good part that Mary had chosen, that is that she sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, according to my opinion, that implies three important things, also three important lessons for us today. She was sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and heard his word. As you all know, sitting at the feet of someone in the language of the Bible means that you are a student listening and studying at the feet of some important teacher. Paul the Apostle writes about himself that he had been sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel, 
Gamliel the Great, as he is called in the Jewish writings, the most important rabbi of his own days, an excellent teacher apparently, he was sitting at the feet of Gamliel and drank in the words of this great teacher in order to make those words his own. That's what Mary is doing, listening to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and desiring that these words may be applied to her own heart and function in her own way of living. Brothers, sisters, that's what we need in our entire life. Everybody needs this, to learn from the great teacher, the master, Jesus Christ himself. And of course, that means, first of all, that we have to read the Word of God regularly in studying the Word of God. Now, you are privileged that you have the time and the opportunity to study the Word in a more extensive and deeper way than just ordinary people. Study the Word of God sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means, first of all, that you don't study the Word of God only to understand the Hebrew and the Greek language of the Bible. It's important in itself, but that's not the main thing. That does not mean that you may learn something about sound biblical doctrine from the Scriptures. Also, that's important, but it's not the main thing. Sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in all your studies, in your meditation, in your praying, in your listening, in everything you do, should be listening to the Lord and seeking to apply the word to your own heart. The word is called by the power of the Spirit, a power of God unto salvation. That's the first and the foremost thing. How do we love the Lord most? With all our mind, with all our strength, with all our heart, by listening to Him and applying the Word to our own heart. That's serving God, Martha. That's loving God with our mind and soul and everything. Secondly, sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ also is the place of worship and of prayer. You read a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Luke, of Luke actually in chapter 8, the story about Jairus, the man who had a daughter of 12 years old, who was seriously ill and was about to die. And he came to the Lord Jesus Christ in that predicament, in that difficult situation, and he fell down, we read in Luke chapter 8 and verse 35, and he besought him that he would come into his house. He fell down at Jesus' feet. We don't read that Mary was falling down at Jesus' feet. But when we compare the text, it's evident that in the language of Luke, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, the place at the feet of Jesus is not only a place of listening, but also a 
place of praying. We'll find that more often in the Bible. Are you, am I continually at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in pouring out our hearts before him, in confessing our sins before him, in fleeing to the throne of grace, in seeking to learn to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more and deeper and deeper. It's such a blessed place that in the midst of all your busy things, you may flee to him and just seek a time of silence, of quietness before the Lord. Being still before the Lord. We don't read that Mary said anything. She was just quietly listening, but also her heart was opened to the Lord. And that should be also the main element in our prayers, that we pour out our soul before the living God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading for help in our studies, pleading for help when we have to write a paper which causes us great difficulties, pleading particularly for communion with God. As John Owen says, with communion, for communion with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe when we seek the time and the opportunities to be at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, very often, to plead with him and to pray with him, our study becomes easier. And our insights in the word of God will deepen. That's the second important aspect. At the feet of the Lord Jesus, pleading and praying. We sometimes read about Luther praying many hours, and you as a student think, how did he manage that he could pray for two, three hours before he started. That he said, well, I'm very busy today with all kinds of chores and I have to meet with many people and to counsel many people. Well, if that's the case, he said, then I rise up earlier. I have more time to pray first. Or Bradford, it's said of him that he was studying with an open Bible on his knees and constantly praying and pleading to God. We like to hear about that. And you think it's an example worthy to follow, but we don't follow it really. Now it's not necessary to follow every detail of those great saints in the past, but the principle is important enough, the one thing needful. How do we love God and serve God, first of all, by listening to him, to his voice, to his word. Secondly, by be, being much in prayer and pleading with God for help and for grace. And then we turn, finally, to the third aspect. That's in the same chapter, in Luke chapter 8. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone to the other side of the lake of Galilee, of the Sea of Tiberias, to the land of the Gadarenes, and he has found a man who was possessed with the devil. 
And the people were very afraid of him because he was a violent man. And he comes, the Lord Jesus rather comes to him and he asks him about his situation and about the devils that possess his soul in bondage. And then he says, it's not just one devil, it is a legion of devils which is within me. And the Lord heals him, drives out those evil spirits, those demons. And then after a while, for the Lord Jesus Christ had been alone with this man, the people from the area come, and what did they see? They saw the man sitting, healed, sound in body and mind at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his grace, it's also a place of rest. First of all, the place of rest, which we find expressed in that well-known statement by the Lord himself in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You may translate, I think, the first words, come unto me, laboring and heavy laden as you are. The Lord knows we are laboring and heavy laden, first of all, because of the burden of sin. And what a blessing it is when we may come to him, listening to his word and praying for his grace and bringing all our spiritual needs, the temptations, our bosom sins, our weaknesses to him. And he will give us rest the rest of his grace. Now it's interesting when you turn to the word rest in the Bible, there are, as you all know, I think, particularly two important Greek words to signify rest. Most often, one of the der derivates of the word pause, pausa, is used. That's exactly true in our own spiritual life here on earth. The Lord provides pauses in the spiritual struggles. It's not a constant rest in our life. May, we may have experienced much of the peace of God in our hearts, but we still have to go on and struggle will come again. But what a blessing when you may receive those elims in the wilderness, those pauses, a rest. But the other word, sabbatismos at Hebrews 4, is even more glorious. It's the Sabbath rest, the eternal rest. And every experience of rest has something in it of the glorious future of the eternal rest. Now that rest is to be found at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, resting, becoming quiet when our mind is in turmoil, becoming at peace with God when sin accuses us and Satan tries to make sins even bigger than they are. Rest 
it's to be found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, I will give you rest, and when he provides the rest for this poor man of the Gadarenes, then it's the rest he has earned by his own death and by his own resurrection. It's a beautiful thought that this peace or this rest, which may be experienced at the, foot, at the feet of our Lord, has been purchased by him. That's so evident in the last words he has spoken on the cross. Not the final words, but the words before. It is finished. Tetelestai. One word in the Greek. Of course, our Lord didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. And when you translate the word tetelestai back into the own language that the Lord spoke while he is here on earth, one of the translations, I think two of them, say nislam. Peace has been purchased. Rest has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When according to the beautiful words of our form for the Lord's Supper, he has ratified the covenant of grace, the promises of grace. I will give you rest. Brothers, sisters, I hope you may have a very profitable week. You may work and study hard. You may be blessed in your teaching, but I also hope you may experience the pauses of the blood-bought rest by the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you may be sitting much at the feet of him by listening, by praying, and by finding rest. Let us pray. Lord, we come unto thee. Thou art the great God, glorious, mighty, holy, and righteous, but also condescending and merciful. Thou wilt provide rest for a restless generation, for our generation is a restless one in this restless world. And one of thy servants of the past has said, our heart cannot find rest until it has found rest with thee. Grant, O Lord, that in the midst of all the things we have to do, we may find rest with thee by listening, by praying, by looking unto thee. And that's the heart of loving thee with all our heart and all our mind and all our spirits. Oh, then we'll do our work. Not as if it will always last, we'll do it with an eye on thee and on thy grace and on thy mercy. That's the one thing needful. And then we will be faithful in our duties, in our chores, in our studies, in everything we do, but with an eye on thee. 
Thank thee, Lord, for these instructions from the pages of thy holy word. Will thou be with us, strengthen us and give us wisdom and faithfulness, and above all grant us thy grace, we ask it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.